www.ecmyspodcast.co.uk network radio. Today's guest is JC Mack. Now JC Mack, on the 15th of October 2005, while hanging up the phone one day, suddenly began crying for no reason and could not stop. As the crying continued, a sensation of pins and needles and rushing water began to move down through his head and up through his arms and legs. The experience became so intense, he ended up on the floor, believing he was about to die from either a stroke or a heart attack. Basically, the world of duality spontaneously disappeared, and what followed was a three-year journey of integration. He has discovered that the closer you are to your own true nature, the more peace you experience in life. And when that happens, everything seems to go away, even when it doesn't. There is a new level of gratitude and a way of being that allows one to experience life with more joy and a grounded effectiveness. Just want to say a very warm welcome to JC Mack. It's great to have you on the show. Um, just want to give people uh, some context about who you are um, and how you, you know, why you're on here and talking about what you're going to talk about. Um, for what, for what I understand is that you were somebody that had a very responsible job. You travelled all over the world um, working for some very powerful companies, and I, I understand that you had a very powerful job or a responsible job. And you know, kind of spirituality or open yourself up to a greater reality or a higher state of consciousness was probably the furthest thing from your mind when you work in that field. That's my assumption anyway, but it might not be true. And I understand that somewhere along the line, your world almost came crashing down. I'm not sure whether you would describe that as a nervous breakdown or something like that, where you just stepped out of almost like linear reality and just had like an enlightening unity experience of consciousness um, I don't know if I'm describing that very well, but if you could just sort of enlighten what you, you went through and, and how it affected you. Great. Well, uh, first off, thanks for uh, letting me share, Ian. I appreciate it. And uh, if I can be of some service in some way in our conversation, I always find that um, very inspiring. Um, let me just start by saying that, um, you know, over a number of interviews, I've... Um, I'm getting a little bit better at trying to explain this because it's difficult to explain the unexplainable. Language doesn't quite cover it at times, and and uh, the it's difficult for the mind to grasp at times. So I've um, kind of learned through experience, um, just because people have asked me to talk about that, to try and set a bit of context around. Um, how the conversation will go so people can get some value from it um, from different perspectives. Um, so, you know, we even to start the conversation, we, we begin by running into a dilemma, which is we're using a, a linear uh, tool to try and describe a nonlinear state. And what I mean by a linear tool is anything in the world of perception and form and appearance and our day-to-day -day viewing of how we see or what we think is reality. So that whole thing that makes up the universe that is visible, um, language comes from form, the ego comes from form, you know, everything you see and touch is form, and um, how things appear for you and the perceptions that you have is all part of the world of form or the not or the linear world of form but beyond that it none of it looks like that so it's very difficult to describe um, with with the tool of uh, a linear tool a nonlinear experience so there's a bit of dilemma that will probably go on in the conversation and I'll contradict myself and and um, so I, I always like to let people know that ahead of time because some things go beyond the mind and won't be able to be figured out by the mind and that's exactly uh, what I'd like because you can't think your way to an enlightened state uh, one, because you're already enlightened and two, the mind is the biggest obstacle in the way of seeing uh, what reality really looks like like there's there's an old Zen saying when the mind appears reality disappears so you know the tool that most people use 
to try and have these kinds of experiences if they're seriously committed to them. And I wouldn't even bother messing with this stuff unless you were serious. Um, is the mind. So they try to figure it out. And you can't figure it out. You can't think your way to heaven, per se, although heaven has no location. It's a state of consciousness. Um, so you, you keep running into these kind of paradoxes and dilemmas. So um, just keep that in mind because I don't even know what I'll say myself. It just kind of says it itself. You know, it just, I never know what's going to come out anyway. So, but I will, I will start by, see, you started talking about what I did for a career and I spent many, many years in the corporate world and in investment banking and, and in the oil industries and the telecommunication industries as a leadership development coach and working with some of the top executives in the world doing that kind of thing but you know I ever since I was 12 I was curious about the truth and it always kind of haunted me like it never went away so I, I've spent most of my life seeking um, some kind of an experience or some face-to-face -face encounter with God or reality or whatever it is you'd like to call it really doesn't matter and uh, so that was always there and that that kind of drove me into a lot of studies and a lot of meditation and a lot of different things thinking and a lot of chasing gurus and what I now call the spiritual circus um, so did this happen the chasing the gurus did this happen after you had your experience or? No, this is this is for most youth. Right. Okay. So you've already so you yeah, kind of as a, a kid. So you were kind of a seeker anyway. You kind of had this urge inside yes. of you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Long before I got into business. Yeah. Brilliant. Long before I got into business, there's uh, there was this part of me that um, just it, there was just something that knew there was more to what I was looking at, and that there was. Um, I don't know, maybe it was karmic, who knows, but certainly in this particular life I was, I, I had a passion for that, like, you know, learning to play the guitar or something, you know. Mm. I had a passion for the spiritual path and, 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 um, what, and was willing to do anything to try and have a glimpse, even of just a glimpse of what being confronted with reality would be like. Yeah. You know, to have a cappuccino with God, what would that be like, you know? Yeah. Double espresso with me and God sitting at the table face to face with nothing in the way. So, that has always been there. In fact, that's what led after many years to the work I started doing. And um, as I got older in that, I, I worked in many different capacities. I worked in the prison systems. I worked in street uh, with street youth use at risk I worked um, leading seminars for thousands of people on personal development and then eventually it led into the corporate world it just stumbled into it and um, I started working with executives in that and kind of tailored what I was doing to fit inside a corporate context because what they're interested in is making more money um, You're like an empowerment so, coach, someone that empowered people to get the best out of what they were doing. Yeah, like improve their performance. Right. Okay. And and the way that I would do that was tra is by is by um, transforming their perception of what they thought was possible. And so as I was working on myself and and uh, raising my own level of consciousness, I could begin to see things that. Um, my perception of reality began to change, or what I thought was reality. Actually, reality is not a perception. Beyond the mind, there is no perceiving. You're in the essence of divinity. You, it's not a perceptual thing. A perception is a function of the ego. It's a projection um, of what you, like a filter, you know? The ego filters reality and the mind filters reality so until you get beyond the mind it's all perceptual I think it was Ramana Maharshi who said stop trying to save the world because the world you see does not exist 
And what he means by that is as long as you're dealing with perception, you're not seeing things the way they truly are, their true nature, what they're really doing and what is really going on. So you have to get beyond thought, you have to get beyond the ego and the, the linear world of form in order to be in the presence of that. And there's many ways up a mountain, so there's not just, you know, I was a seeker most of, you know, most of my life and um, I've come to believe that it, it may have had some benefit, but ultimately there's nothing to seek. Yeah. Because why would you seek what you already are? That's right. So can I just um, interject here as well? The stuff you're saying now is um, is, is very spiritual. Um, you know, you've got, is this, are you talking now from the experiences after uh, what happened to you or did you know this stuff before and I think what would be really good for the listeners is to sort of uh, make it clear that something happened to you didn't it um, yes that, that made you stop you in your tracks and then from that point onwards you really wanted to figure out what had happened um, and then how you could achieve it or yes well it's it's easy to reflect on that from you know in 2005 like in a way, here I'll contradict myself. I, I'll tell you the story of what happened, but um, ultimately nothing happened because there isn't anything happening in reality. That's a function of the mind, like a sequential set of events, like the beginning and the end and the middle, the past and the present and the future. That's perceptual. So, from one sense, what I will do, I'll tell you the story of what happened so that we can kind of try and get our head around it. Um, but in 2005, I was working from my office and I was hanging up the phone when I started to get a sensation of pins and needles coming in my hands. And I thought, oh, maybe I've just been at the computer too long. And then it started coming up through my feet. Um, this is about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And then it started at the top of my head. And it started to kind of descend and rise up through into my body. And it got stronger and stronger. And I started to get a bit concerned, like, like maybe there's, I'm having a health problem. And as it got more powerful, it was then um, accompanied by a sense of rushing water, like being under a waterfall. And that got stronger and stronger until it was like I was being pounded down to the ground by this waterfall and these, this sense of pins and needles that began to shoot through my body. And at first I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. It's all going to end here on the office floor. And that went on for a while and I realized, geez, I'm, I'm still here. And then the next thing that, the next fear and terror that arose was... No, it's a stroke. I'm having a stroke. I'm going to end up having a stroke here. So when, when you're faced with loss of existence or your life, you begin to go through a series of terrifying fears, which is the ego. And so I began to go through all these fears about leaving existence, about dying, and about... In fact, there was, the, there was almost like a sadness to it that I'd spent 50 years... 50-odd years working and building a family and, and it was all about to come to an end in a moment. So it was accompanied with this kind of sadness like after all this, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die on the floor of my office alone. And that never happened. And uh, the next thing that started was this kind of arthritic ache that started coming through my body like my bones were breaking. And I couldn't, my, I started to become kind of paralyzed. And I thought I better get on the floor before I fall down. So I, I got on the floor and I laid there kind of in a fetal position because I couldn't really move while this sense of rushing water, pins and needles in this really heavy arthritic pain started racking my body and I had uh, suddenly what arose was uh, an old uh, a Zen quote that I think I read somewhere that said all fear is illusion walk straight ahead and I realized at that point <clears throat> excuse me 
that I had a choice that I could cling on and hold on for dear life and try and prevent what was happening, or I could just let go and say, let's get on with it, and which is what I did. And the moment I did that, everything, the rushing water, the pins and needles, and the, the, the aches and everything, it all just disappeared. And I was left on the floor, and with it went all thought. So there was no more conversation in my head, there was no more thinking, there was nothing except the stunning beauty of everything in life. You know what it's kind of like um, when you're operating from a linear kind of egotistical point of view or perceptual point of view, um, the colors are dimmed, though you don't really recognize this. But when those filters are removed and the ego collapses and gives in, the, it's, the, the stunning beauty of divinity is overwhelmingly beautiful. Everything shines forth in a, like an electromagnetic field that's alive of love that unites you with everything and at that point it becomes very difficult to function because you know I couldn't eat I lost lots of weight and I rarely used to wash so for the first 10 months there, there was there was no conversation going on and I couldn't get out of my flat I would uh, couldn't do much I could you know, a friend would come over and make me soup once in a while. But I just was catatonic so, with this stunning... Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, from a medical standpoint, did they diagnose you of having uh, a nervous breakdown or stroke? Or well, I mean, what was the um, diagnosis? It, 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 what, you see, I had been doing this work for so long that I realized one of the things that was a lifesaver for me was that I knew it wasn't medical. I had kind of passed through that phase of it. I knew that what was happening was a spiritual experience, let's say. Though ultimately it's not even an experience. It's, it, what it is is the removal of the obstacles to who you are. So I knew, I knew that this was not something for the medical profession because I had been working with it for so, so long. Now there's many people that I'm sure are locked up in institutions and I've been in them that are under medical care for having had similar things. But if you're looking through a medical model, they will diagnose you based on their education. If you're in a Zen monastery or something like that, that where people are aware of these types of things, it's looked at in a different way. So it, it just depends because these things are happening to everybody. Yeah. So what There's, happened at that time with your family and your job? Well, I couldn't work, so the business started to fall apart. Eventually, my marriage fell apart. Because this, it took about three years to reintegrate to be able to function in the world. Right. I, I couldn't pay the rent anymore. In my, you know, I had this beautiful home that went. Um, I ended up in a little tiny flat in a welfare line whenever I could get out of the house. And everything just vanished, you know. It, one of the things, you know, I've been writing this little book and called Letting Go and, you know, part of what I talk about in the book is, is the downside of what can happen when these experiences take place. It can corrupt your life, particularly, you know, certainly in the West because you've got responsibilities, I've got children, I've got, you know, bills to pay. All these things are still there, except the way you're relating to them now doesn't make any sense. So, for example, going back into the city to work to help companies that are making billions make more billions seemed ridiculous. N none of it makes any sense anymore because what you're witnessing is people functioning out of their egos and survival and scrambling around to make life work and have things safe and to make sure the pension's right and everything's in place 
or to try and extend the length of their life or all of this and, and you begin to see the absurdity and the waste of time that that is. I'm not saying having money is a bad thing, we all need it. But when you're in this space, when you're in this non-linear field of divinity, it becomes very difficult to function in a linear world. Yeah. You don't see where you fit anymore. So, and that's part of the integration. No boundaries, is there, I guess? You, you know, you're not like a well, label or a boundary or an object. You well, all labor, yeah, <laughs> exactly. All, all, in fact, nothing has a label anymore. Yeah. So when you look out at things, what you see is the stunning manifestation of creation without label. So there is no, there is no distinction. You know, the mind can distinguish one thing from another. Yeah. But that's the mind. In a nonlinear field of divinity, there's no distinction. It's just one thing. Right. And that one thing is emanating and, and manifesting in form when the conditions are appropriate the way it does because that's what it has the potential to do. But it doesn't have a name because you don't have a conversation going on to call it anything. Yeah. So what does it feel like? Is it because some people talk about Kundalini experiences where they feel they are one with creation, they are one with God, they they are everything, and they say it's the most amazing feeling. You know, I mean. Well, it, it's not a feeling. Right. That's another label, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling is identified. See the see, see the dilemma. Yeah. See, it's it's not it's undescribable. So you can't explain it. Yeah, I think it was again Ramana Maharshi who didn't bother speaking for years because he didn't see the point. Because it's difficult to say, you know, it. It's not experiential, nor is it a feeling. You are you find yourself. It comes unannounced when the conditions are appropriate, no matter what you're doing. That's why I'll live all of. That's why I said earlier the spiritual circus. If easy steps to enlightenment and if you shave your head and if you do I've never met anyone that's become enlightened that way I've never met anyone become enlightened through meditation but I'm not saying that doesn't have a purpose it can contribute to the conditions that one day has the state come on unannounced but you never know when that's going to be yeah so does this still happen to you now it's it's continuous. Continuous. So does that frighten you, or do you? you I mean, you could, could you be somewhere that's, you know, driving, for example, and then all of a sudden go into this state of consciousness? Well, I, I can remember in the first year I was uh, I tried driving, and um, I suddenly realized everybody was beeping their horns at me, and I thought, what's going on? And I looked down, and I was doing five miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was telling me to get the hell out of the way. Move you maniac! So, and then there was another time I was at uh, Waitrose in the um, bread section. I used to go into Waitrose when I finally started getting out of the house just to, because they had a coffee shop there. And I, I, I'd sit there and I was in aisle five in the bread section and everything was in a state of perfection and communicates. You see, everything communicates to you. Everything's aware that you're there, and you're aware that everything in existence is there. Mm. So you're you're in a, you're in commun communication might not be the right word, but I don't have another word for it. But you're in the presence of everything because that's what you see. You finally realize that you're everything. So you're part of this field, and so in the bread section, you you could say, as silly as it sounds you're a part of aisle five where the bagels and the bread are. So I'm in aisle five and it's so stunning, I'm in tears and the manager's got to escort me out of the store. Mm. So these things would happen to me where it would become, I was where I used to take the rubbish out into the rubbish bins. Um, I'd get down there and it would be so stunning I couldn't leave. Mm. See because in a non-linear state there's no hierarchy of importance. Everything shines forth as beautiful as anything else. So a dying rose is just as stunning as a full one that's in full blossom. Yeah. 
a worm has as much um, divinity and um, right to existence as the Dalai Lama. In fact, there's no difference. Yeah. So yeah. the temple, the temple becomes all of existence. You know, I used to call it the temple of Waitrose. I think I'll go worship in the bread section. So it really didn't matter anymore. So, go for it. Go on. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, so ahead. really, you're trying to understand what's happening to you now, aren't you? And are you trying to teach others about what happened to you, or are you now trying to teach others how they can let go to perhaps achieve this? Or do you know where I'm coming from with that? What I mean is yeah. that it's not about trying to be enlightened, but about letting go somehow. Yes. Well, yeah. let's be clear about something. Nothing happened. Yeah. Because nothing's happening. That's an illusion. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean a car is not driving down the street. That means when you see that form, it's not being caused by anything to do that. Now that that's a very difficult one to wrap your head around. So if I hit billiard ball number one and it hits the blue ball, it hits the green ball, it puts it in the pocket, you could say it was me hitting the white ball that hit the next ball, the next ball, that it was caused by something. But that's an illusion. That's a sequential illusion of the ego. From a non-dual perspective, it doesn't look like that. Everything's emerging moment to moment based on its potential. Yeah. So, so is it is it the human body or the the human brain, which is kind of like a biological computer? Is it is it the body that makes us see the world like this? And really, our consciousness, spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, is the everything already. But it's through the it's kind of conditioned through the filter of the human being ego, which is allowing us to experience the world the way it is. And you're kind yeah, of stepping that's, out. That's- that's yeah. pretty pretty accurate, you know. At each level of consciousness, everything looks different. You see it at one level. You see an old tramp on the corner. At a much higher level, you see the Buddha. It just depends on the state of consciousness that you're residing in at the time, and that comes about through many conditions and lifetimes and everything else. But. The level of consciousness determines the perception until you reach a high enough level where you transcend the mind and perception vanishes and then you're in the essence of divinity. Yeah. So the, the, you would have to speak to God about why this is all going on. In fact, you know, when I say nothing's happening or nothing's causing anything to happen, you know, someone, people say to me sometimes, well, what happened in 2005? And I say nothing. And they say, well, why is that? And I say, because nothing's happening. And then they say, well, what's the point of existence? And I'd say, well, there isn't one. But you see, the mind can't get itself around that because it needs a reason for everything. It's a paradox, isn't it, I think? It's a dilemma. It's the dilemma between the linear, the, the dualistic world versus... It's all part of the same thing. Yeah. There's no there's no line drawn in space that says this is where you cross duality. In fact, there aren't even levels of consciousness. I'm just saying it that way so you can kind of yeah. conceptualize it. That's what I think everything, they're not they're not levels. It's not levels. Everything's just energy, isn't it? And it's a perception of energy. It's like just you are tuning. You the way I look at it is like if you look at a picture, you focus on the corner or you focus in the middle. They all exist at the same time, but it's just where you're putting your focus and awareness. Well, I, I remember going back to my old high school many years ago, and I could have sworn the lockers were much bigger. Because you were smaller when you were younger. But everything looked so big. Yeah. The lockers looked huge. But as when I went back, I could see there was the tiny little lockers. But you see, I had changed so much, the lockers hadn't. Hmm. My perception of them had. So as you transcend levels of consciousness, what you begin to see and get closer to is reality. And the closer you are to reality, the less illusion and delusion you're experiencing in life. 
the further away you are from reality, the more delusion and suffering and attachment there is. Mm. So let's get back to this thing about letting go. Sure. So you could say in one sense, I let go and transcended my ego and what came unannounced was, was this non-linear state of divinity, or whatever you want to call it. You could say, that's what happened, but really that's not what happened. So in terms of letting go, the only, the, the only way I can kind of describe, you see, if you're, it, it's, it's not the world, it's not the things of the world that people suffer over, it's their attachment to them because of their level of consciousness they become attached to things like they're solid like they're real like but everything's impermanent it's all coming and going i'm coming and going you are everything is but until you see that you don't relate to it that way it looks fixed it looks real and fixed so i fall in love with the woman i never want it to change and it changes and then i suffer I love my job and I get fired and I'm so attached to my job that when I lose it, I suffer because of my attachment to that job. I never thought I'd ever get fired. Well, why not? Everything's changing. Why wouldn't you? Or maybe you moved on. Or maybe you got divorced and you thought that marriage would never change. Or maybe you're in a relationship with somebody that you can't let go of that person because of the way you perceive it, your attachment to it. So the suffering comes from the attachment to the things. And part of the transition through the levels is, is as you move through the levels of consciousness, you become less and less attached. So things just come and go. There's no longer you grasping at the world because what you begin to see is reality the way it is. And that's just what it's doing anyways, including, and you're part of that. So there's a level of acceptance that comes with, oh, I see, it's all just coming and going. It's coming in and out of form based on the conditions and its potential to do so. So it doesn't, it doesn't, rain, it doesn't rain unless the conditions are appropriate, yes? Yeah, sure. So when, That's when what's happening with everything. Sorry, sorry just to butt in, but when, you, when you're in this kind of state of letting go and acceptance, do you find that reality and synchronicity kind of shift around you and actually life improves for you? Or well, you could, you could say it that way from a linear perspective. Hmm. But nothing's shifting because nothing's happening. Hmm. But what you can do, if I, let's, what you can do is influence the condition. So if I send a prayer out, for example, right? Yeah. for humanity in the name of the highest good now that prayer goes into the field of consciousness because the field of consciousness registers everything that's ever happened because it has no beginning or an end everything that's ever happened though nothing's happening exists like a stamp like an energy field in the field of consciousness so when you're dealing with this stuff you're dealing with it like that. So, um, my mind just went, what was the question? Um, well, I was just kind of saying about how reality may shift around you with synchronicity. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I got it. Sometimes it just goes blank. And so, it doesn't shift around you because that would be perceptual. What happens is, let's say you just lead a good life, you don't harm anything, and you're loving and kind to all things. If you just did that one practice, eventually the obstacles to you noticing you're enlightened would, would, would come on unannounced. Just that one thing. Because remember, everything is in a state of emergence. Everything throughout the whole universe is affecting everything else. i got to keep bouncing back and forth here. So everything's influencing everything else. It's not really, but from a linear perspective, it is. So when you, people have all these exotic practices to become enlightened, you can't become something you already are. 
All you can do is work on removing the obstacles in the way of you seeing that that's what you are, not who you are. If I said it's who you are, you would be back in a linear dualistic world, right? Because if there's a you, there's a me. Yeah. I am this. If there's an I, there's a you. Who am I? You've just, you've just gotten right back into a duel and trapped yourself again. It's not an I yeah. or a who, it's a what. Right. What you are is enlightened. And there's filters or whatever you want to call them, in obstacles, whatever you'd like to call them, that are there through karmic conditions and lifetimes, like a veil that obscures that view. So as you work through the levels of consciousness, um, you begin to, the veils begin to drop until eventually the ego collapses and you're in, you're in the presence of, of divinity or reality or whatever you want to call it. Now here's the other thing. Karma does not create enlightenment. Good karma just creates good karma. Look, if you go out and start robbing, I can promise you there's probably some bad things coming your way. Because the universe kind of works like that. Just like if you do a good deed, sister, whoever, Mother Teresa, I don't know, whoever does you do a good deed, I helped uh, an old lady off the bus today, just simply because she needed some help, not for no specific reason. Now that might create good merit, but it doesn't lead to enlightenment, because enlightenment only emerges when the condition is appropriate. So what you're working on is creating the condition that has that state emerge. And that could happen anywhere, at any time, at any moment, doing anything. I was hanging up the phone. Yeah. So you, you had this kind of inner um, thing in you already where you kind of believed. <laughs> it's funny hard to say anything in case I'm kind of labeling this stuff. But you had well, like label a, it. Yeah, you, just be you, aware that we bounce back and forth. Sure. So you had like an inner belief already that enlightenment was possible somehow. And well, do you know what I mean? You've kind of you, you're on this journey now, where it's happened to you, in a, in a sense, isn't it? I never had a belief because I I never understood. You know, there's an old saying. You know, people that that haven't that aren't enlightened, let's say, or haven't realized enlightenment, think it's something special because that's the mind. Those that have had an experience of that, though it's not an experience, don't think it's special. There's nothing special about it. In fact, it feels normal for the first time. What's insane is not being that. It's not special to realize what you are. It's insane not to. But in a way, the world is... is um the way the reality, not, not really what reality is constructed, but the way the world is kind of keeps people in that kind of linear state. Yeah. Know, but if that's by design, I don't know. You know, it could be. Time to God about that one. Mm. Well, I mean, not God, but there's lots of players in the world, aren't there? There's lots of people in this reality. Um, and it's easy to condition people to be a certain way. You know, unless you can overstep that and overcome it and wake up to what reality is really about, then you can take control of your own life and your own perception. Well, let me say it a different way. Over 90, I guess at least 90% of the world exists in a world of duality. There's a me, there's a you, there's an up and a down, there's a light and a dark, there's a good and a bad. They're the bad guys. We're the good guys. We got to go over and free that country. We got to go kill all them guys. That's the perception from the world of duality, opposites, the world of opposites, which is a level of consciousness that comes from the ego. It's survival, right? Yeah. Which is how, and it has served a good function. I don't mean to, I don't think for one second the ego doesn't have a good function because. It will, it will drive you out there to succeed and give you a nice home and all kinds of, that's, that's not the, 
I'm not demonizing that, but if you're serious about seeing what you truly are, then you have to transcend that at some point, and that comes with its own problems. So yeah. now let me get back to what you were talking about, which was what? What were you, <laughs> what were you asking me? It's this, this, this awkward game between the, the duality and the uh, non-linear stuff, isn't it? Um, I guess what yeah, I was well, trying to say was that, yeah, I mean, what I was alluding to was that, um, you know, like we live in a world where uh, people are conditioned to be a certain way. So a majority of people are conditioned to be a certain right. way. You know, it's, a, it's the TV, the radio, the music. Right. Everything is kind of duality. It's about separation, ego, yes. survival, da-da-da-da, right? But if there's yeah, more right. people like... If the majority of people were having these kind of experiences, then the reality would be very different. We'd be sitting there talking about you having a very strange, dualistic experience. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But let's keep in mind that because the predominant in humanity, predominantly, everybody's functioning from the perception of duality. So, until the only way out of this mess is to see beyond it, you will, it just perpetuates itself over and over and over again and has been since we've been here. Look at history. We've been we've in the last hundred in the last hundred years we've killed over a hundred million people. So it just perpetuates itself. No matter what you do, you just keep moving the toys around in the box because the, the predominant perception is of separation. So until you transcend that, there's no unity. There's never going to be any world peace from a perspective of duality. It's impossible. It's not a possibility. Because there's always going to be a me and you. As long as, as long as we're dealing with the perception of duality, there will never be world peace. That's right. So, the name of the game is to get as many people across the line. It's the wrong way to say it. You see, because once you experience that, you can't harm anything anyways. Because to, to do that is to shoot yourself in the foot. To harm anything is to harm yourself. But until everybody sees that, there's a you and a me, and they're trying to take over that country, and we got to go get them, and i got to make sure I get the job and you don't get the job. And it's it's... It's the world of opposites, you see, and it's a world of separation, and it's a world of survival, and it's a world of making it through. Humanity's trying to make it through. Mm. Through what? What is it we're trying to make it through? What are we trying to save the world from? What? Ourselves, probably. <laughs> yeah. There is no you. No, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? Because how does that, in, even in terms of spirit, people talk about having a spirit guide. They talk about their loved ones in spirit, and you know they're there. They're, those, those those realms do exist, but again, you've got duality working in other so-called planes of existence as well, which is another paradox, isn't but, it? Yeah, but look at the. You hear all kinds. I tell you, you know, if you, that's why I call it the spiritual circus. Let's look at it. Look at it this way. I open the yellow pages, I want to go see a psychic. I want someone to predict my future, right? First off, there's no such thing as the future, so how could you predict it? That's a perceptual illusion of the ego. That's duality. Duality is an illusion. We function inside an illusion and you wonder why everything's so insane. So I go to the psychic. And the psyche sits down, looks at me and says, you're going to meet a beautiful woman. Do you ever notice they, they, they never say that you're going to drop dead tomorrow? Anyways, that's another thing. But she, she says to me, you're going to run into great fortune and meet a lovely lady. Well, my encounter with that person 
has just altered my destiny because before I met them, I was on a different path. So everything that happens at every moment is altering what you call the future. So I then leave the psychic. I go over to the corner store and buy a Coke. I've just changed it again. Because everything in existence is not static. It's influencing everything else in existence. So the conditions are changing at all times. So then I put the Coke down and I go home and have a meal. My destiny has been changed again. So it's like looking at a movie. The end of the movie is certain. You will, it's inevitable at some point that the state of enlightenment will emerge and you will see what you are. But in the middle, anything can happen. But the end is certain. So when you say the end is certain, do you mean within infinity, there'll be a yeah. time when you'll step out of duality? You'll realize, yes. yeah. So that could be... In a, in a universe that has no beginning and no end, the day will come when you'll be walking down the street or something, all of a sudden all thought will disappear, the stunning beauty of divinity will present itself like a presentation, and that'll be it. Your mind will vanish, your ego will collapse, and you will be in the presence of that, will emerge, that state will emerge because there's nothing else left in the way of it. And that's how, what you'll realize is that your consciousness itself, which is what everything is. Everything has a consciousness to it. And you're just part of all of that, just at a different, to the wrong word, level. So that's what eventually is, why I'm saying the end of the movie, the end of the movie is that, that realization. But in the middle, you keep playing with the toys in the box, altering it around. I go to see the psychic, I help the old lady off the bus, I do the, you, you know, yeah. you're playing with the toys in the box, but all of that keeps shuffling itself, the deck keeps shuffling, you know, it's like God's shuffling the deck and rolling the dice and, and you're influencing it by your behaviors and your thoughts because everything's accounted for. Yeah. Absolutely every thought, every hair in your head is, is being registered in consciousness and influencing that field. Quantum mechanics goes into that kind of stuff, but I don't know much about it. Yeah. So, nor am I interested. That's, that's the, the so, other thing, isn't it? Yeah, and then, the, and in the end, it comes on unannounced. You could be anywhere. And then, for some reason, you'd have to speak to God about it. You're there. Yeah. But really, that's the wrong to say. But but really, like you know, you're there's only one thing, isn't there? You know, like God is just one energy throughout creation. It's just this one thing, and almost like we are kind of a spark or an awareness. We're just sort of like a focus of thought, I suppose. And we decided to come into this kind of game to experience duality with the hope at some point that we'll step back out of it and be, come back to all that is. But in the meantime, we get distracted by different things and try this and try that and then forget who we were. Um, and it's like being stuck in a maze, I guess. Eventually, we'll find our way out, but we could be there a very long time. <laughs> if yes, but, but time's an illusion, of course. What, what you've given me is kind of like from your conceptual mind. Yes, that's right. Yeah. A story about what we're doing here. Yeah. There is no point to being here. There is no point to existence. There isn't anything happening and there's no point to existence. So how do you deal with, you know, like obviously you've experienced what you've experienced and you know this so you know for someone like myself or someone else listening to this we we could be more objective and you know find wondering what you're saying but you've you've experienced this so how do you cope now in the real world or when I say the real world is you know in this how do you survive now knowing what you know in this reality 
I find it very hard to even talk now because I'm thinking in terms. I know. <laughs> I tell you, message you had. I've done when your mind trying to, when you try to get your mind around it, you get even more screwed up. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because I like that. <laughs> I don't want you to try and think your way out of this because you can't. I think you've opened something you, now. <laughs> you won't. You won't think your way through this. You can't think your way into enlightenment. It's not a formula. It's the mind is looking for the answer. There isn't one. Seeking does not get you to have the state emerge. Seeking delays it. There's no such thing as seeking in reality. That's your mind messing with you again. Hmm. Trying to gain good merits so that someday you'll end up in heaven is a conceptual illusion of the ego. In reality, there isn't anything going on other than this electromagnetic field of love that is a part of everything and you realize you're it. But there's no point to that. No. Because that would, that, would be, that would be your mind trying to figure out what, like, what's the point of being enlightened. There isn't yeah. one. So can I ask you a question? Um... Would you prefer, I mean, now you know what enlightenment is and you know, what, the st what the true state of us really is before we come into duality, right? Would you, would you want to continue in duality or would you prefer to spend the rest of infinity going back to all that is? Well, it's taken four years to integrate the two together so I can function as a white boy in London or in the UK to provide for my... I, I still have a lot of problems with it. It ruined my health. It, 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 it just wreaked havoc. But that's very common. You know, a good teacher should warn you of the pitfalls of being serious about... This is not a hobby. This is not just read a couple of, um, um, you know, alternative books off the shelf. Because what happens is people get into all these books and all this stuff, and then they have an some they have a, a moment of no mind, and it has n not not even remotely close to anything they read, and it screws them up. Most of the books, and I've read hundreds of them on my journey, messing, you know, trying to figure something out it was not even remotely close to that so people get caught up in this seeking the next workshop the next guru the next thing the next technique the next formula that's just the mind keeping you stuck again you see that's the dilemma there's the dilemma you have to stop seeking you have to stop looking for it. That's just the mind. But it's such a difficult thing to accomplish when you've spent God knows how long using your mind to get what you've got. I mean, don't you get paid for the quality of your mind in the city? The bankers do. Pay millions because of their brains. I go down there and say, look, buddy, you know, excuse me, he's about to have about to have a heart attack because he's, he's thought himself crazy. And I'm trying to say, listen, you need to stop thinking before you jump out the window. Yeah. But the whole thing has become so, he's become so attached to it. It's driving him nuts. Six people jumped out of windows last year or two years ago when I was down in the city. Now you can't tell me that's worth a job. No. But you see, their minds, you know, that the whole to deliver on the targets, double the amount, it's insane. So once you've had, here's the benefit of having stepped through the gate, let's say. Life, you then begin to see life unattached. So you can function in the world with without all the attachment and the suffering. 
then you really do start to become of some use to people. You see? Yeah. So here I am. I'm still, I'm 56 years old. I've still got a body. You know, it's walking around. It pretty much just does what it wants. You know, me speaking to you, I never know what's going to come out of my mouth. And then when I stop speaking, it goes silent. Yeah. So it's like the faculty of speech is triggered by spirit or this consciousness because you asked a question. After the question's answered, it goes back into silence. So that is the integration of it. But that has been a real struggle. That has been a crazy, nutty, terrifying, blissful, you know, lose it all, not know what to do. What's God's will for me? Am I going, you know, kind of a journey. So the pathway, you might say, for many starts in hell. Because what you have to do is overcome every obstacle that's in the way of what you are. So a true, let's use the word seeker, a true, no, let's say a true spiritual practitioner, and you can see this throughout history, ends up in hell at some point between their ears. Hell is not a location, it's a state of mind. So you end up there because it's a ladder into the pit first. It's not an ascent, it's a descent into whatever the illusions and the things that you've created over lifetimes has to be dealt with. So the path really doesn't begin until the issues start to arise. So don't be surprised if you find your life falling apart, if you get serious about the spiritual path. It's happened to many. Okay. Christ in the Garden of Yosemite. Buddha reports every bone in his body breaking. Yeah. You know, Ramana Maharshi falls down, experiences death. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not a easy trip. It's a fascinating subject, JC. Um, we've only got a few minutes left um, on the show. So, can people find out more information about you? You've got a website. Um, jcmac.net haven't yeah. you um, is yeah, there any JCMA's. other mis- sorry yeah sorry is, is there anything else people can do to research you or do you have books or well, I mean, what, what, uh, there's a book that's going to be coming out there's lots of articles on on um, you have to excuse me because I'm terrible on technology yeah, you if you go to if you go to net, which is jcmac.net into Facebook there. There's lots of articles. I just post things. And there's video and that on the website. There's audio interviews on the website. There's my phone number on the website. People call me up um, at the oddest times from the oddest places and we have conversations. And really what I'm interested in doing is is just speaking more about this um, in more of a public kind of venue so we're going to start organizing some events but it'll be a little book called Letting Go it's just a small little book that I've written that should be out in the next couple of months I think I might just throw it up on the website and if as an ebook or something or if people want it they can download it or something like that or you know send it to the save the budgie campaign I don't know <laughs> well. and uh but that'll, that'll be available, and um, I'd like to do some more speaking. I think that's where it's headed. Yeah. Well, listen, it's absolutely fascinating talking to you, and I wish you all the best getting on the circuit and, and telling people what you do, because it's an absolutely fascinating subject, really, because it, it gives us, you're giving us kind of a taste of what we really are, and, um, you know, getting stuck in this whole yes. duality thing. And, and people like yourself, and there's another lady as well. I know there's a neurosurgeon that had a stroke as well, and she, and she is sort of described a very, very, very similar thing to you as well. Um, so you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's there wonderful. you go. Yeah, but she had a stroke and had it. Exactly. <laughs> it's kind of the wrong way to go about it, I guess. But <laughs> at one moment, I thought that's what I was having. <laughs> exactly. But, but if if I could just say, you know, let let me just finish on something that. Look, there's no rush. Don't force these things because you can really 
damage is too big of a dramatic word, but you can get yourself in a hole with this. So keep it light. You're, the end is inevitable. There's no rush. Don't push yourself to try and have these things happen. That's where you run into trouble. That's where I ran into trouble, trying to force it because I was obsessed with the topic. You don't need, it doesn't need to be like that. It's different for everybody. Some people gradual, some people have a little more tougher ride. But, you know, just be kind to all things. Love yourself, love everything else. Don't harm anything. And really, you're halfway there. You end up there anyway. What's the rush if you're eternal? What's the rush? Yeah. You see? Yeah. So it's kind of relax into it. Keep it simple and relax into it. It, it. It's there all the time with you. It's always there. And one day it'll just make itself apparent. And it'll change your change what you are or your life forever. Yeah. For the good. Indeed. If he had only used it for the power of good instead of evil. <laughs> Most important, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's from Batman or something. <laughs> no, but it's worth still good saying. It's a good mantra. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fantastic. All right, well, thanks, JC. Thanks for all coming right. on and uh, giving hey. us a story. I'm brilliant. Hey, and God bless you all. Thank yeah. you so much. And I wish you all the best with your, with your journey as well. God bless you. Okay. Okay. All right, take care. Good night. Thank you. Good night.